the things that I want to talk to you today about is uh, with Lucy and talking about the joy of believing. When Lucy came back from her discovery in the wardrobe, she was so excited. She was ecstatic about what she had found. But when she came back, her brother and her sisters, her two brother and her sister, didn't believe her. They were, they were frustrated because they couldn't understand why Lucy would make up these stories and these tales. And Lucy couldn't understand why her brothers and sisters couldn't just understand what she saw and what was so real. And what she discovered was she couldn't deny it. She couldn't say, no, it didn't happen because it was real. And the thing that happens in the story, and I'm not going to ruin the story for those of you who want to go see the movie or haven't read it or seen it, but the thing that happens is that Lucy's two brothers and her sister finally give her a break. There's someone that gives them a little bit of wisdom and says, well, is Lucy, Lucy normally a person who uh, is given to lying and making up fanciful stories? And he said, well, no, she isn't. Actually, Edmund is over here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so they, they give her the benefit of the doubt. And it's because of her character that they decide to give her a break and say, okay, maybe, maybe what, there's something to what you're saying. And maybe we should investigate this too. And what I want to share with you today, I don't want to present a case for Christmas. There, there's a lot of people who are doing that and can do a good job at it. Uh, and you can read some books about the evidence for the Christ child and his birth and all the archaeology and historical things that are being found, which is fascinating in itself. But I don't want to do that today. What I want to talk about is the joy of believing. I want to talk about what we can help others in finding and discovering a king and a kingdom and the joy that's found in that. I know that like Lucy's experience, most people are not going to listen to our evidence but they will be confounded by a people of good character, character who have an unexplainable joy and a look of wonder on their faces and in their lives. Maybe confounded enough to investigate and explore themselves who was in that manger on that first Christmas morning. Well, around my house, there is a, um, I've been hearing a specific phrase uh, repeated pretty often, and it's not just because of Christmas, uh, but it's kind of a phrase that I hear a lot at mealtimes and before school. It's a phrase that is uh, given special emphasis with a certain inflection of voice, a special nasal twang, and a definite attitude. And here's the phrase, and maybe you've heard it in your house, or you maybe yourself have said this phrase, and the phrase is... Do we have to? When I worked with uh, youth and, and, uh, in my youth group, there always seemed to be a couple of girls who knew how to use this phrase really well. And it didn't matter what we were doing. I mean, we could be playing volleyball a game or swimming or going to see a movie. And they would always respond with, Do we have to? Drive me crazy. But in talking about the joy of believing, I, I want to also recognize the fact that maybe, honestly, that there's some of us here that really might view this whole thing of Jesus and following Him as kind of a sort of have-to proposition. Do you have to go to church? Do you have to read the Bible? Do you have to be a part of jail group? Do we have to pray? Do we have to talk with, about Jesus with other people? <laughs> Do we have to give this up? Do I really have to do without to follow 
Jesus? <laughs> I really do think that if people were really honest, I'm telling you, they would say that they see Jesus and this whole following him thing as a have-to proposition. Now, don't answer. But honestly, do some of you see Jesus as a have-to kind of thing? I want to challenge that. I want to challenge that in you today. If you answer in your, in your heart, in your mind, well, yeah, kind of. Kind of seems like a have-to kind of thing. I want to share with you two stories that Jesus told a long time ago. And they're discovery stories that might help us rediscover the wonder or at least find the joy of believing for the first time. Now these two stories, if you were to read them in the Bible, you can read them in 30 seconds. But in the tradition of uh, storytellers, I'm going to uh, expand on it just a little more and uh, tell it just the way that was told to me by a good friend and mentor, uh, Tommy Oaks. Once there was a farmer plowing a field on Monday. And he's griping, griping about his work, not only because it's Monday, but because the field he's plowing isn't his field. And on this day, while he's plowing his field, his plow gets stuck. Just like a Monday. He gets really mad, and he starts hollering and yelling and digging away around the plow. And he's trying to pull out whatever's going on there. He thinks it's some big rock, and he really has to dig. And then he finds, as he digs a little further, it's not a stone. It's something else. And he starts to quiet down a bit. He's not hollering and cussing so much now. But he's finding that, that really his plow is stuck, in, stuck on something that's kind of rectangular in, in shape. It's like a box. And he starts digging away because he starts getting a little excited. What could be under here? And as he pulls the dirt away, he starts to see that it's a chest. And there's a big chain around it. And he gets real excited. He unhooks his plow, and he gets his tractor, and he pulls that big chest out of the ground. And he busts it open. And when he opens it up, his eyes just bug out. Because when he looks, he sees a treasure like he has never seen before. There are gold coins. There are jewels. There are stock certificates. I think there's even maybe a couple of lottery tickets in there. And he's getting excited. It's the greatest treasure he has ever seen. But there's one problem. It's not his treasure. So he looks around. This is the chest. And he puts it back in the ground. And starts to bury up. Because you see, there's a law in the land. And the law says that if you own a piece of property, everything on that property or in that property belongs to you. And so he covers up the chest, marks the spot, and he goes off and he finds the owner of the field. And he goes to the owner and he, and he says that, hey... You know that field, I'd like to buy it. And uh, the owner, you know, he's not really wanting to sell. And so he tells the man, the worker, the farmer, this astronomical price. And the, far the farmer, his heart just drops. It just drops because he knows he's not sure that he, he, can, he even has that. But then he begins to think. And he says, you know what? If I sell everything that I have... I may be able to come up with a price for this land. So he tells the owner, you get the deed, I'll get the money, I'll be back by, by evening tonight. And so he goes running home, and he's excited. He's thinking about that treasure buried in the ground. He's thinking about owning that field, and he's thinking about all the things that maybe he can sell. And when he gets home, he runs in the house, and he goes to his wife. You know what? You know what we're going to do? We're going to sell everything we have today. 
And his, his wife is like, hmm, that's great, honey. And he's like, what? We're going to sell what? We're going to sell everything. Hold on just a minute. And he runs out and he gets a sign and he paints yard sale. And he goes out and plants it in the front yard. He comes back in and he starts pulling the couch out, trying to pull it out the door. And his wife is going, where are you going with that couch? That belonged to my grandma. We're not going to sell that. And then he grabs an antique lantern, sets it on the couch, and he starts pulling again. And his wife says, what are you doing with that antique lantern? That belonged to my great, great aunt. We can't sell that. What are you, what are you doing? Have you lost your marbles? And he says, no, wait. And he explains to her what happens. And then the wife says, well, get out of the way. We're having a yard sale. Let's get this couch in the yard. And so they start pulling everything out into the yard, everything that's in the house. And they start telling their friends and telling all their neighbors to come over because they're having a big yard sale. And as they pull everything out of the yard, they start selling things left and right. And they start getting really excited. Neighbors start saying things like, well, I thought you'd never part with that couch. Well, you know what? Let me just cut the price on that for you. And then every time they sell something, they get more excited because the money starts piling up and getting closer to the asking price for that field. And they sell everything in the house. But it's not quite enough. And so they sell the house. They sell the yard. They sell the shed out back in the yard. They get more excited. They sell every single thing they got. And when they get down to the very last thing that they own, and I'm not sure exactly what that was, maybe it was just a rake, but when they sell that rake, they're so excited because they have the amount that they need right down to the very penny. And the jo their joy knows no bounds. And so they, they try to get a sack to put the money in, but they don't have a sack. So they ask a neighbor and they borrow a sack. And they put all the money in it and they pile it up and they fill it. Now in this sack is everything they ever owned, ever saved for, ever dreamed of. And they take this sack, which holds everything that they have, and they take it to the owner and they plunk it down. And they say, give us the deed. Here's the money. And they sign the deed and they own that land that the treasure chest is buried that night, as the sun goes down, there's a man and a woman who don't go to bed. You know why they don't go to bed? Because they don't have one. They sold it. And they don't drink coffee out of their favorite cups and sit on the porch swing watching the sun go down. Because they don't have any coffee. They don't have any cups. They don't have a porch swing. They don't have a porch to swing from. Because you know why? They sold it. But are they happy? Yes. They're happy they're excited. They're ecstatic. They're sitting out in the middle of a field with the greatest treasure ever found. And that's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. What do you say it's like? Don't we have to? Second story. Once there was a pearl guy. He collects pearls. He buys pearls. He sells pearls. He's a pearl freak. He's a pearl muncher merchant. He loves pearls. He has his own little shop and he makes his living from selling these pearls. One day, early in the morning while he was shopping in the pearl market, he goes by a display case and he sees something in that display case like he's never seen before. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. It is a super pearl. He says to himself, I've never seen anything like that. That is the greatest, most marvelous pearl I have ever seen. I have got to have that pearl. And so he speaks up to the dealer in a real cool and complex voice. You know that pearl here? Yes, it is quite impressive. <laughs> I'd really like to buy that with 
for a pearl like that, I would have to have this much. And it's a price way out there. And the pearl collector's heart just drops. It drops, but he thinks to himself, if he sells his stuff, he might be able to get the amount that he needs to buy that super pearl. So the collector goes to the dealer, and he's at the market, and he says, if I get this money by evening, will you hold this pearl for me? The dealer agrees. He says, yes, I'll hold it for you. All right, I'll be back before sun goes down. So the pearl collector goes back to his little shop, and he calls all his friends, and he gathers them together, and he says that he's having the sale of the century. And he starts putting up signs saying, liquidating all assets, making deals like you've never seen before. And he's telling people, I'm selling everything. He's selling his tacky pearls all first. He's getting rid of them. But then he starts selling his favorite pearls left and right. And he starts pulling them out and selling them anything he can get. I'll cut that price for you. And then the man says, hey, what about those pearls up there in that display case? Oh, yeah, I forgot about those up there on the wall. Yeah, those are for sale, too. He grabs them and sells them. And then, what about that belt buckle you got on there? Oh, yeah. Well, that pearl belt buckle, that'll go for a pretty penny. Yeah, I'm selling that, too. And he says, well, what about them pearl cufflinks? Oh, yeah, let me take those off, too. I'm selling them, too. And every time he sells something, he gets more excited because he's getting closer to the asking price for the super pearl. And he sells every single pearl that he has. And he sells everything. But it's not enough. And so, he decides he's going to sell the shop. He's going to sell the house. He sells the yard. He sells the shed in the yard out back. And the very last thing he owns, I think it was a rake, he sells it. And he borrows a sack because he doesn't have one of his own. And he puts everything into that sack, all the money. And he gathers it up. And everything in that sack is everything he's owned, everything he's dreamed of, everything he's ever cherished. And he takes that sack and he goes down to the pearl merchant downtown in the market and he plunks the money down and says, here's the money, where's the pearl? And he gets the pearl and takes it. But that night, as he takes the pearl, he doesn't go back to his home. You know why? Because he sold it. That's right. And he doesn't go riding off on his camel off into the sunset. You know why? Because he sold his camel. That's right. And he doesn't have a cup of coffee to drink from or a coffee cup because you know why? He sold it. That's right. He sold it all the way. But is he happy? Yes. He's happy. He's ecstatic. He's excited because he's looking at the pearl of great price. And that's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. What do you say it's like? Do we have to? In both of these stories that Jesus told, and they're found in Matthew 13, there's something of great value. Someone discovers this thing of great value, and not only that, but they recognize how great it is. And each story, there's a person that pays a price, and it's expensive. But do they pay it Wistfully? Do they pay for it sadly? Do they pay for it with a regretful heart? No! They do it with great joy. It's really great. I see it. I value it. I want it. I'm going to have it. I'm going to pay for it. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And is that what following Jesus is like to you? Or would you say you're more of a have to kind of person? You know, some of us in 
traditional evangelistic circles sometimes see commitment in funny terms. We have gatherings where sometimes we see two types of speakers, and especially uh, with young people and, and youth gatherings. And one of these speaker types uh, could be labeled the, the athlete type. And he tells of all his exploits, I did this, and I did that, and everyone in the crowd is saying, yeah, we saw you, you are great. And then the athlete goes on, and as he goes on, it kind of comes across like this. I could have had anything I wanted, but I gave it all up to follow Jesus and speak at dippy little youth rallies like this. <laughs> and all the, all the kids in the crowd are going, wow, yeah, you're speaking to dips like us. Wow. <laughs> the second speaker type is a guy who kind of tells all the gory details of his sin. And he says, I took this, and I took that, and I drank this, and I drank that. And it's kind of like this testimony lust starts happening. All the Christians are drooling, and they're thinking, I became a Christian too soon. I never got to do that. And then the speaker says, but I gave up all that to follow Jesus. And you can almost hear someone in the crowd say, stupid. You were doing all that? Gave it up? What kind of impression do speakers give when they do this kind of thing? You know what it is? The impression is, I had something great, and I gave it up for something little. I had something wonderful, and I gave it up for something tame. What is wrong? Do you see what a misunderstanding and a reversal of values this is? We got it backwards. Do people give up things to follow Jesus? Do people not do some things others do? Do people do without that some do with? Yes, of course, absolutely. Being a Christ follower does mean that sometimes you give up things, and sometimes you don't things, or you do without. And if you think that you can do with both, you're confused. But here's the deal. Anybody who gives up anything to follow Jesus is giving up the lesser to get the bigger thing. The temporary for the eternal. The house for the treasure. The little pearls for the greatest pearl. We just got it turned around backwards. No one can give up anything greater than Christ. It's always smaller. It's always less. We need a greater appreciation of the pearl, of the great treasure. Nobody could do what Jesus has done for you, ever. I couldn't pay the price for one single drop of blood of Christ. And you know what? We will see the day. We will see the day when we realize that one drop of Jesus' blood is greater than any treasure in this world. Believe me. So why do some people on this planet, even today, hang on to their faith in Christ, even in the midst of torture, or watching their families suffer, or endure pain, or to lose freedom? Because they know what they got. They got a treasure, and they aren't going to give it up. They aren't going to let go. Because they know the greater thing. You know, it's just like Lucy in the story of Narnia. She knew what she had found. She knew she had, what she had discovered and what she had experienced. And she wasn't going to deny what she knew was true. Even if her brothers and sisters thought she was crazy. You know, there was a place in America. Um, there's a place that there's a little bit of wonder. And there's a little bit of magic. And maybe some of you, uh, either as an adult or as a child, 
you, you maybe drove there with your family. And it, it's a place called Disney World. And uh, there's a certain place called the Magic Kingdom in Disney World. And I don't know if, if you've ever made the trip, but if you have, think, think back to that trip that maybe you drove in a car with your, with your family. And think about your dad, think about your mom, think about your siblings all piled into a car. And, you know, everybody kind of starts out fresh on the trip, you know. And you drive out of the neighborhood, and somebody says, are we there yet? And everybody laughs. Oh, 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 no, no. But then about 30 miles down the road, there's somebody, maybe it was you, who said, I gotta go. And then the dad gives a typical response. He says, whoops, just past the exit, uh, 25 more miles to the next exit. So you're dancing in the back seat. And finally, because you complain enough, your dad pulls over to the side and you find some bushes off and you go to the bathroom. Later, as you're driving down the road, you've been eating some stale Doritos and you're getting real tired because you're hungry. You want some real food. And you start complaining, I'm hungry. Can we stop? Dad says, whoops, just past the exit. Another 25 miles to the next exit. And so at the next exit, you stop and you're going to eat at whatever's there. And it's some greasy spoon place. And your dad and mom pull you kids in there and they sit down, they order for you, and they set this slop in front of you, and you're not going to eat it. And so then your mom and dad start threatening you and they start saying things like, You're going to eat this because we paid for it! And they're not stopping at another exit for another 20 hours! So, you start eating it up and regretting it, but then you get back in the car. And uh, as you're driving, it's starting to get late at night and getting tired. And you got to find a place to sleep. And his dad says the typical thing, whoops, we just passed the exit. Another 25 miles to the next exit, we'll find a place to sleep there. Pulls off, and of course, the price is too high, so he's not going to pay, so he goes to the next exit. And when he gets there, then he has to pay out the nose for some hotel room that has cockroaches in the bathroom. And so you don't sleep well at night, you're worried about the cockroaches that are crawling around, and you're nervous, and then you wake up in the morning, and you didn't sleep good, and as you're driving, you're going through Georgia, and the air conditioning breaks. And it gets hot and sticky. And anyway, there's, there's hot cans and food and trash lying all over the car, and it stinks. And you just want to get there. And you're almost there to the Magic Kingdom, but you have to stop and kiss me because you have to stay with your great aunt, aunt Ethel. And so you stay the night there, you endure that, and then you wake up in the morning. And the morning has a, holds a little bit something different because you know you're going to get there. And you get in the car and you're piling. And Dad says, in ten more minutes, we're going to be there to the Magic Kingdom. And as you drive, you start pulling in through the entrance and you start seeing some things. You start going, ooh, Dad, look at those hedges and how they cut them. Ooh, look at those little creatures over there. And ooh, I think I see the castle. And as you drive in, you pull in and you park. And then comes this little bus. And you hop on the little bus and you drive in. Then you get onto the monorail. Everybody gets on the monorail. And then you hear this, welcome to the Magic Kingdom. And as you go in, you start pointing to things and go, Ooh, Dad, do we get to go on that? I said, sure we do. Sure we do. And the bands are playing and the dancers are dancing. And everything is so happy and beautiful and wonderful. And you know what? You just forgot the car trip getting there. You forgot how awful it was. You forgot about the stale Doritos. You forgot about your obnoxious sister. You forgot about the roaches in the hotel. You forgot all the sights, the sounds, and smells from that uncomfortable road trip. Why? Because you're in the Magic Kingdom. 
and you don't care because it was worth it all. It was worth it all. But you know what? You'll be in the Magic Kingdom for a little while, and eventually you'll get tired, and eventually your dad will get grumpy again, and your feet will get sore. But you know what? Heaven is not the Magic Kingdom. Thank God. Heaven is better. And when you get there, it won't matter what it took. So guess what? Today, the door of heaven is open. The kingdom of heaven is accepting people who want to be in it. Today, you got to walk through a little wardrobe door to walk into another world. Jesus said that I am the gate the sheep enter in. He's the gate to eternal life. He's the door. Listen to this prayer from Psalm 51.12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Some of you have lost the joy of believing. You've lost it in the journey. You've gotten tired and worn out. And you need to ask God, please restore that. Restore that joy to me. Some of you are just now seeing the great treasure, the great pearl, and how wonderful it is. You're just making the discovery, the joy. And today, I want you to know that you can have the treasure. You can. And you can have the joy of knowing that you have that treasure. But for those of you here today, I also just want to let you know that you can reverse those parables and just know that Jesus, when He looks at you, He thinks you're the pearl of the greatest price. He thinks you're the treasure. Because you know what He did? He gave it all. Stretched His arm out on the cross and gave everything He had. And it works both ways. Today, uh, the guys are gonna just going to be playing a little something. And as they're playing, I, I'd like us just to have a time where if you like... You can come forward, come down here and just sit on this front row. And myself, my wife, some of our staff will be here to pray with you, talk with you. And if you're just saying, I just need that joy restored, the joy of God's salvation. I need to have it. The joy of believing has kind of disappeared. I want it back. Or maybe you're saying, I think I've just discovered the treasure. I think I've just discovered the pearl and I want to know what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to this great gift that God has given? And we'd love to be able to talk with you and share with you how to respond to that great treasure of Jesus Christ. The one who was in the manger on that first Christmas morning. So right now, I, I hope that uh, in this time that we won't be bashful and shy. I hope that we won't uh, withhold or restrain ourselves because again if we know the value of Christ, know what a great treasure is we don't want to dampen that joy we don't want to restrain from that you know I think of you know, like the game shows that my grandparents used to watch I think of The Price is Right and there's these people and, and Bob Barker and the guy calls out in his voice, calm down call somebody's name you know, they aren't sitting there, well, I don't know, I, I need to think about it. They call my name, but I just don't know. I mean, trips to Haiti and brand new car, I just, I just really need to think and pray about it. No, they don't do that. 
And they come running down and they're, they're waving their arms. Ah, you called my name. I'm on the braces, right? I'm not saying they have to run down and scream and holler or anything. I'm just saying, no. Know the treasure, know the pearl, know that it's a great price. It's a wonderful thing to have, a wonderful thing to want. Okay? So I'm going to pray. You guys are going to sing. If you want to respond, I'm down, pray. It's great. If not, it's all right too. Heavenly Father, you've given us the greatest gift the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, Nothing compares. Everything else in this world is just rubbish. It's just trash compared to you. And Lord, we want you. Lord, for those of us who already have found the treasure, Lord, I just pray that you would restore the joy of that salvation in our lives. Lord, for those of us who are just discovering for the first time, I pray that you help us to grab a hold of that and know how to receive you into our lives, Lord. To receive all that you give and to walk with you. Lord, thank you for all your things. Let's go ahead and stand together. You spread the skies over empty space. You said that there'll be light to a dark and formless world. Your light was born. Spread out your arms over empty hearts. You said that there'll be light to a dark and hopeless world. Your love was born. You made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son for you are good What a wonderful maker What a wonderful Savior How majestic your whisper And how humble your Savior 
majestic your whisper And how humble your love With a strength like no other And the heart of a father God, just thank you, just for even a song like that to express our hearts to you, to say that you are wonderful, you're great. Lord, I pray you continue to open our eyes that we may be able to see how great you are. God, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together, again, to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time as brothers and sisters to come together as a spiritual family, to be able to express our faith, to explore the truth, to enter into community to experience you and your presence here today. Father, I pray you bless these people. Protect them. Watch over them. In Jesus' name, amen.